Lord, please speak to each one of us today. Show us any planks in our own eyes before we look for small splinters in the eyes of others. And show us what you want us to do for you now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It's a rather anonymous beginning, isn't it? I'm sorry about that. Anyway, there we go. This is the third missionary journey. And you can see where Paul went by looking up there. Um, it says in chapter 18, verse 23, that Paul departed and went through Galatia and Prydia, strengthening all the disciples. But what does he mean by strengthening? How do you strengthen disciples? And on this second journey, the groups of believers that he visits, visited are strengthened in the faith and increasing in numbers daily. Why? Paul knew that wrong teaching, persecution, and division were going to come. And we know they did, because Revelation 2 and 3, with the letters to the churches, explains that Christians in those circumstances faced exactly that. And indeed, when he got back to Jerusalem, there was a controversy immediately, a division, about what part the law would play in current Christian experience, that's the Old Testament law. So how did he strengthen churches? It seemed to me reading the, the third journey as a whole, that there's a sort of three-legged stool. This is a change from the two-handed lawyer. This is a three-legged stool. So teaching faith in Jesus, love, and doing those things by God's Spirit. The world, like Pilate, cries out, what is truth? How does the church reply? Well, recently in hospital I met two people in the same ward on the same day at the same time. One was a management expert in the design of microchips and of factories to make them. You may wonder what I could talk about with him. <laughs> the other, a simple Ethiopian believer. And they both raised the subject of the state of the church in Britain. They saw believers grappling with each other about teaching and about compassion. And oddly enough, uh, somebody explained to me very recently great difficulties in a particular church elsewhere, uh, leading to division, people leaving, even families and marriages being divided over issues of how to cope with some of the problems that we meet when we try in the church today to discuss what we believe. The manager had a formula. He had uh, three things. He said vision. Now that was how to perfect the chips. And that for me equated with what we believe. The second thing was passion. Uh, well, that's love, isn't it? And then the third thing was action, how to do it. The Ethiopian just said, tell them love. But he didn't say how or when or what or where or anything more about it. Paul had faith 
and love and the Spirit to strengthen with this new project, a single church of Jesus Christ made up of groups of individuals, some of whom considered each other to be beyond the pale, unacceptable to them or they thought to God. Paul's circumstances were surrounded by paganism, idolatry, self-interest, and strong hostility. Some of that may sound familiar. He started where last time at Iconium and Lystra, uh, the people had tried to stone him and Barnabas. And in Lystra, they had stoned Paul, thought he was dead, as we've heard. But he walked up, got up, walked back into the city. How did he set about this strengthening? Well, I think reading these passages, first of all, he clarified what was meant by faith in Jesus. And he preached to people who didn't know as well, teaching about the kingdom of God. At Ephesus, even Apollos, a successful spiritual teacher, needed himself some teaching, as it says, more accurately in the way of God. He went off to Greece and believers there and showed them by the scriptures that the Spirit, uh, by the Spirit and the scriptures that Christ is indeed Jesus. Now as then, many don't know or explain who Jesus is and why he became flesh and blood for repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation and new life. Paul arrived in Ephesus and he found others there aware only of repentance, not of forgiveness. We might think it's the other way around today. He baptized them in the name of Jesus and the Spirit confirmed it. He boldly preached, reasoned and persuaded daily in private and in public for two years. So all the residents of the province of Asia, the Roman province, heard the word of the Lord. Secondly, his conduct showed his love with all humility and tears teaching and testifying repentance and faith in Christ Jesus chapter 20 verses 19 to 21 there were miracles of healing by Paul's hand and clothes power that others imitated unsuccessfully so the word of God continued to increase and prevail mightily 1911 to 20 and thirdly he spoke and behaved from the Spirit with wisdom for believers in the face of opposition. For example, in Ephesus, the center of the cult of Artemis, um, a fertility goddess, her temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, bigger than an Olympic stadium, uh, and the city lived and had great wealth by selling silver idols, votive offerings, and mini shrines, that sort of thing. Uh, Demetrius, the silversmith, set up a riot, saying that he blamed Paul. We'll lose our jobs. That's our personal welfare. Our trade will be disrupted. Our reputation will be spoiled. And Artemis will be robbed of her divine majesty. What people think of God. <laughs> As if man could rob God of his divine majesty. Um, even a cross failed to do that. We have, I think, the opposite order in the church. God's reputation comes first. The reputation of the church as his servant comes second. And what Christians do and say as an expression of their faith comes from that and from the Spirit. Paul accepted the 
Spirit's guidance for changes of plan. He didn't have an inflexible procedure. When there was a plot against him, he changed his, his intentions and go home a different way. There's an example at Troas of his teaching and discussion. Sharing before he leaves the team. So they had worship, they had a fellowship meal, and Paul was teaching until well after midnight. Eutychus, which means fortunate, by the way, fell asleep and out of the window. And Paul, through the Lord, repeated the miracles of Elijah and Elisha and our Lord himself in bringing somebody back from the dead. That is real as well as being um, a picture of his entire mission, I suppose. And then there's a similar farewell to the elders from the Ephesus church on the beach. Um, Paul, in uh, chapter 20, 17 to 27, describes testifying to the gospel of the grace of God, the whole counsel of God, facing opposition openly and secretly. And now he's constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and he gives his account of strengthening churches who are expecting to face hardship. Does strengthening churches today look much like that? The two men in the hospital, uh, one was a Christian and the other not, they, they didn't think so. They said that they saw a church inconsistent, unclear, uncertain about what it believes, divided in teaching and in behavior, and some treating particular groups differently, foreigners, women, children, men of various sorts. They did not speak well of our bishops, overseers, and managers. Even sister joined in at that stage. Do we see the humility that these verses describe in Paul? Do we see repentance. God was still calling in 2 and 3 Revelation years later for the church at Ephesus to return to its first love. So it's teaching, love, the Spirit. Jesus on a beach, a different beach, told Peter, feed my sheep. Paul warns them as a prophet of the need for care of themselves as leaders, teachers in the faith, personal conduct. Pay careful attention to their spiritual life and moral purity because people notice when Christians mess up and it doesn't help the gospel. You see why this is difficult, don't you? And to care for the flock in which, not over which, the spirit, not themselves, has made them overseers to care for the church of God. Why? Because fierce wolves will come in among you from outside, even from inside, even among the leaders, not sparing the flock. Church history is full of fierce wolves, horrible fierce wolves, the flock torn apart, and wolves twisting things to draw people after themselves rather than 
after God. An example in the hospital again, a couple of weeks ago, um, somebody whose life had been ruined in health in many ways, uh, and in faith too, to a point, uh, as a result of a cult that that person had been involved in, which had twisted away everything, power, abuse, all the things you fear in a cult. And they had been leaders, describing themselves as Christians. Paul has to write twice to Timothy, the leader at Ephesus, and he writes Ephesians as well, teaching about faith, false teachers, speculation, arrogance, greed, asceticism, turning away, vain discussion, self-advancement, and he says instead, advance faith and advance love. And I've said about the Spirit's letters in Revelation. So Paul says, verse 31, be alert to the Spirit. He commends them to God and the word of his grace, Scripture, to build them up. And he gives his own example, working to support himself, helping the weak, not envying. And he says in verse 35, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. I know this is a similar repeat of a second experience, but it's slightly different. I went into the hospital the other day and I was reading before I went in in the book of James. And three things stood out to me and each of those things was directly for somebody that I met in the hospital who was grappling. Now, I, I find that extraordinary and I find that humbling and um, it sounds very boastful to talk about it. But if God's done those things, then we need to say but we also need to deliver the particular thing and to have the, the courage and the patience and the compassion to do it. And God gave me those things in order to be able to do that. I'm not really a very compassionate person. Anyway, forget that. The love between the people, Paul, and those from whom he's parting in this passage is absolutely palpable. You can see that he's been with them for, for so long, and he's been struggling for their empowerment as well as for their personal walk with the Lord. There's weeping, there's embracing, there's a kiss of peace, there's sorrow at parting. And when they leave, they shared a meal, they shared communion at Troas. And back in Jerusalem, he reports to the elders, and he tells them the things that God has done among the Gentiles through his ministry, focusing on what God has done. And not the breakdown of the fellowship that I've been wittering on about, not the, the bad side. He tells them what God has done. So Lord, may we all be strengthened like this and built up through the teachings of true faith inspired by your spirit and sharing God's love inside and outside the church. Amen.